For years, there have been struggles over the gentrification of city neighborhoods. But what about the gentrification of food? Food gentrification is a term coined in recent years to describe how once affordable and staple ingredients can become trendy and costly and ultimately out of reach for poorer communities who once depended on them. It's a trend that presents challenges for more than 40 million Americans who live in food and secure households. And it's an issue that our next guest, writer and feminist Mickey Kendall, has reflected on. Mickey, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So this idea of food gentrification, when you started tweeting about this a couple of years ago, what sort of prompted that word to come from you? What was what were you thinking about then? So this is going to sound a little petty, but I had been out to lunch with a friend and on the menu they had ham hocks and it was like a side dish of ham hock, chopped ham hock. It was $8 mm-hmm. and somebody at their, our table ordered it. And it was like a saucer, like a tea saucer of meat, not even like a full saucer. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, eight dollars, eight? Are you kidding me? So I had talked about that a little bit. um, And we always talk about gentrification, its impact on neighborhoods and communities. And I talk a lot about food and access. And so somehow or the other, in the middle of ranting, admittedly, I started to talk about how we've gentrified the ingredients themselves. It's not even just the housing or the schools, or but also the things you can buy in that local grocery store, how much they actually cost, assuming you have a local grocery store. But I wonder how many people do think about SNAP benefits and food stamp benefits, et cetera, and, and the struggle that people in uh, low-income neighborhoods in particular have to find food, access food, and just generally to pay for food? I think about it because for several years after my divorce, I was on food stamps. And I, you know, I was in school and I was working and I, I'm a veteran, so I got the GI Bill and all of that. But I remember being one of the few people in my neighborhood who could get to the end of the month, right? And on paper, Food stamps were the primary source of our of my food budget. In reality, I was shorting myself on other things to make sure we had groceries. I know intimately how close it can be, how much you have to shop on sales, how important coupons can be, and also how difficult it can be to come up with meals when your budget is X and this costs Y. Let's talk a little bit about food shaming. How does gentrification of food play into... Uh, or not play into or influence food shaming when when someone is made to feel bad because they pick up something from McDonald's when that's what they can afford? Well, part of it is that we tend to focus on this idea of clean eating, good food, that kind of a thing, right? And we ignore, for a host of reasons, that the reason you would have lard in the refried beans, for instance, was that lard was cheap and shelf-stable and blah, 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 but also that was another source of protein and nutrients. It may not be a source you're comfortable with, it may not be the healthiest source, but it was absolutely a source that was affordable. But someone will say, well, those people should be eating better and they should be drinking this and they shouldn't be spending that. And what is happening instead is that we ignore all of the other factors to say, well, it must be their diet. We don't talk about what's available in the grocery store in the first place. And and let's be clear, too, that the selection in a lot of grocery stores and corner stores, particularly in urban communities and low-income communities, is very limited. Absolutely. So you've got, you know, the quarter and the pizza. If you have the money left over, you maybe get a pickle or some candy, that kind of a thing. That's going to get you through till dinner or maybe your dinner. Well, 
I could do that with this $2, $2.50, whatever, $3. Or I can buy four apples. Hmm. Well, apple, apple a day, okay, great. Except an apple's calorie content is what? A lot less than the 800,000 or so you might get from the pizza and the quarter water. And you also mentioned money. That's such an important part of this because when we think about Chinese takeout, right, um, Mm -hmm. or Mexican taco trucks, we tend to value the food. We don't tend to value the people who cook the food, especially at that level. Because there's a weird, and I'm going to say pioneer, urban pioneer is a phrase I've seen lately, right? This idea that somehow you've discovered Korean food, you discovered Mexican food, you discovered soul food. And if you were really about, oh, let's share this food with my friends and empower this community, you wouldn't feel the need to repackage it and sell it yourself. You would start directing people to that wonderful place or trying to invest in that business where that business has a a broader reach, right? But what's being seen is, oh, there's profit to be made And I don't need to bring those people along because they might damage my profit. And then on top of that, we undervalue certain types of cuisine as a result, right? So we will think that these multi-step, multi-layered meals, well, that shouldn't cost more than because the person serving it doesn't look to our mind like the color or the gender of the person who should be making a lot of money, who should be a celebrity often. Right? We've seen a lot of soul food. I'm, I'm picking on soul food. We've seen a lot of elevation of soul food and what's authentic soul food arguments between people who have no co- connection in any way, shape, or form to that cultural tradition, but they think they have a right to some level of ownership over it. If we're going to talk about who creates authentic soul food recipes, grandma and grandpa do. What are some of the consequences, sort of circling back to living in low-income communities here, and seeing your food being gentrified and maybe seeing the Whole Foods, um, maybe not in your immediate community, but close enough. What are some of the consequences to the gentrification of food for lower income families, families who are food insecure? Well, one of the things is that because you can't afford those staple ingredients for the handful of healthy home cooked meals, right? When we see the price go up for the collard greens, for the oxtails, for whatever, you're left with what you can afford. X costs too much, so I'm going to have to settle for Y as a decision we've all made at some point in our lives. So then you are no longer feeling that cultural connection with other members of your community even. Because those foods don't just exist as, oh, this is a thing I put in my mouth to fuel me. That's community. That's family weekends. That's Sundays. That's your memories that you can no longer access in the same way. Mickey Kendall is a writer and feminist, and she's currently working on a book called Hood Feminism. Mickey, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.